0: Okay. Well, um, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It seems uh, an hour earlier this uh, this daily breath. So um, good to be here. Um, Let's uh, start off in a word of prayer. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another day of this daily breath devotional where we are starting our day in your word and reflecting on who you are before we do anything else. I pray that you are with us as we continue to work our way through the gospel of Mark and we ask that you might reveal yourself more to us each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so the passage today comes from Mark 8, 22 to 38. Um, and it's kind of broken down into four little mini passages. So I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Um, I'm going to kind of read them each separately and then kind of discuss each one briefly uh, just so that we kind of don't forget where we, where we were. So um, the very first one is verses 22 through 26. Um, so let me read that for us. So Jesus heals a blind man at Bethesda. They came to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So I know we've seen, you know, several examples of Jesus's healing miracles in, in previous chapters of Mark, um, but there are a couple of things about this particular one that ca- kind of really stuck out to me. Um, you know, if you notice in the first verse, it says, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So it's clear that they kind of, these friends, um, they, they, it's clear that they know that they can't cure the blind man, but they know that God can. So they interceded for him and brought him to Jesus. And it says they were begging, which um, it kind of comes from the Greek, a stem word, I can't, I mean, I can pronounce it right, but parakaleo, I think. Um, and that that actually translates to something that means continual. So they were begging, but it, it, it's a continual action. So they were almost persistently and, inter, and faithfully interceding on this man's behalf. So it just kind of reminds me that that's our role, especially... Even with you know with VIPs, it's not to, to try to cure others ourselves, but it reminds me that our, our role is to bring others to Jesus, but also to faithfully and consistently intercede for them. So I really like that part. Um, the other thing is that you may have noticed is that this healing was slightly different from the others. And I believe this is the only example of kind of this two-staged healing in the gospel where Jesus partially heals the man before fully healing him. Um And and I'm sure we've discussed this before as well, but blindness, physical blindness is often used as um, a representation of, you know, lack of understanding or spiritual blindness. And if you remember from the passage on Friday that Kong went over, um, you know, Jesus had almost been kind of rebuking the disciples for their lack of understanding and their kind of dullness of faith. Um, And it seems that Jesus kind of uses this kind of unique two-stage way of healing to show the disciples that, you know, although they may have been chosen and kind of seen in part, you know, their vision their vision is is still blurry. You know, they were still in need of full sight. Um, you know, they they didn't understand yet the full measure of who Jesus Jesus is or Jesus was. So, I think it's also a reminder for us to understand the importance of having our eyes fully open, not just partially opened. Um, and Jesus is really the only the only one that can do that. So it's it's funny because after this passage, you can kind of start to see a clear transition in the faith of the disciples as described by Mark. You know, in the previous passage that we talked about um, last week, you can kind of see their semi-unbelief or lack of understanding. But in the subsequent passage, you know, after this story of the two-stage healing, you start to see or you see their declaration of, of faith. So it's, it's, it's really a, a transitional point. So that brings us to verses 27 through 30. So let me read the, those for us real quick. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So I'll be quick um, with this one, but but Peter really very clearly just de- declares his faith by saying, You are the Messiah. Um, I think this is, you know, this is the end of chapter eight. So this is about the halfway point in Mark. Um, and the f- the first half of Mark is really describing miracle after miracle as, you know, evidence that Jesus really is the Messiah. But up until this, up until this point, you know, no one had actually confessed Jesus as the Christ. So it's kind of a significant transition. And declaration of faith. And even though it was Peter, Peter was, you know, the one who said it, it kind of really reflects the faith of the disciples overall, you know, by this confession, they were clearly identifying Jesus as both God and man and as the Messiah. So, you know, we see in these very few verses that they were really starting to get it, you know, their eyes were starting to be open more fully, the picture was beginning to become more clear. But then, um, you know, Jesus sprang this next part on them. um, And I think it was maybe because they were finally ready to hear it. Um, So let me read verses 31 through 33. Jesus predicts his death. He then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his, his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, so I think nowadays, um, you know, we're used to hearing the, the message of Jesus's crucifixion. Um, but if you put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples at that time, you know, they must have been shocked and horrified, right? This This man who they now know as the Messiah, you know, he's been going around healing and performing miracles before their eyes. And they were probably so excited to know that he is the Messiah. Um, and I think at the time, you know, their impression or or what they what they knew of the Messiah that was coming, you know, this Messiah would likely kind of probably deliver them from their oppressors and kind of make their lives easier in a way, right? And maybe make Israel a great power and overtake the Roman empire. You know, I think those were probably the things that they were anticipating from the the Messiah that was coming. Um, but here he is telling them that he must now suffer and be rejected and killed and rise again in three days. You know, that was probably the last thing that they had expected to hear. You know, and up until now, just in the gospel in general, I think Jesus had kind of given little tidbits and little, um, you know, kind of dropping hints about his death and resurrection. But of course, the disciples didn't really understand him when he, he made those references. But here in these verses, Jesus is laying it out very clearly, and he even says very plainly, including, you know, who he would be rejected by, and really kind of an outline of his, of his death and resurrection. And they were so taken aback by this that Mark describes how Peter even rebukes Jesus. So, I mean, can you imagine rebuking Jesus? It's crazy. But, um, and, and Mark doesn't describe exactly what Peter said to Jesus, but we can tell from Jesus' response that we know he was coming from a very human perspective, which, I mean, I'm sure it would have been kind of most people's response to what Jesus said. But I think, you know, the, the main thing is that Peter was still missing a major point about Jesus. You know, he had identified Jesus as the Messiah and really kind of shown his his love and commitment to to follow him, but he still really didn't understand or accept the true reason why Jesus was here and the work that Jesus needed to complete. You know, Peter didn't really tr- trust in the bigger plan, um, and that really reminds me of me. and maybe some of us, Um, you know, I think, you know, we we love Jesus and we're we're committed, but how many times do we find ourselves being like, God, you are all knowing and all powerful, you know, you know what is best and we love you so much, but please help me with with this plan of mine, or, you know, I have a great idea of how we can accomplish your work in the best best way. So, you know, I think we hinder God when we do that. Um, You know, we need to just trust that his plan is greater than ours, or even greater than, you know, what we think his plan should be. So, you know, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you know, it seems super harsh. um, But Jesus knew that Satan was trying to use Peter to tempt him and and derail the plans that his father had for him. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't about to let that happen. So, you know, after saying all these shocking things about his own death, you know, I think Jesus shocked them even more by telling them that, the way of the cross might be in their future too. So um, let's kind of move to our, our final, the final part of the passage. Um, let me read verses 34 through 38. The way of the cross. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So I think that this this little passage is kind of the end of, of Mark 8. Um, it really describes the meaning, the true meaning of, of discipleship. Um, and in the beginning, it kind of goes over three kind of major main steps. You know, whoever wants to be be my disciple will first deny themselves. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are, are many books and sermons just all about this one little verse. Um, you know, but the but the Greek or, or sorry the the word deny in Greek is is actually the same word or, or verb that was used when Peter denies Jesus. So this isn't really about denying ourselves of you know food or you know basic necessity this is it's an intentional this deny is an intentional kind of disassociation from a relationship with another person so denying ourselves is really stepping away from ourselves as primary and making jesus the one that we are most closely associated with instead of ourselves you know submitting our will to god's will and really surrendering ourselves so that was that's the first step of discipleship um the second one he said take up the cross so i mean the disciples probably at this time had no idea what jesus meant by this really um but i think that jesus knew that after they saw his death and resurrection um you know or death on the cross and resurrection that they would think back to maybe this that he what he was telling them now and kind of understand more clearly um but you know Jesus knew that it was his father's will for him to die a painful death on the cross. you know the cross reflects that that pain and that shame and um you know obviously even death, but he knew you know how much he would suffer, but he still submitted to his father's will, knowing that god's plan you know would would triumph in the end um so to me, I mean I think that you know taking up our cross or carrying our cross to me it really means kind of just having that same maybe in a lesser scale but having that same trust in God in the midst of you know our suffering and and battles that we face um you know trying to live our lives according to the will of God even when it's difficult um and really identifying with Jesus's suffering and death and then the third um step uh for discipleship it said um, follow me so this one's really about obedience you know discipleship um involves following him and learning from him and imitating him you know, looking to him, you know, not just following him, but looking to him as a model for how to live, to to live our lives. So the one interesting thing, too, is it's interesting to note, and I've referred to the Greek, but um, it's interesting to note that in the original Greek, that these three steps, you know, d- deny deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow me. Those um, in Greek, it's it's presented as like a present and continuous tense, meaning it's not like a one time thing. Um, it's not like a, a transactional type of thing. It's it's continuously. So we are to continually deny ourselves, continually take up our crosses and continually follow him. So, you know, after um, hearing how serious it was to be a follower of Jesus, I think um, I think it was, you know, in the Gospel of John, you know, they said that some turned away and, um, you know, went back and kind of decided not to follow him at, at this point. So, you know, it is a lot, um, but I think in, in verse 35, we find, the motivation and encouragement he says whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it so he's essentially telling them that in following him you know that's where life is truly found it's found in dying to ourselves and instead obeying jesus and following him you know someone equated uh losing our life i guess to a seed so you know when we plant a seed it might seem that we're losing it you know it's gone it's it's it seems to be dead and buried but by planting the seed, you know, we're actually setting it free to grow and flourish into what it was intended to be. So, you know, by losing our lives for Christ, we are investing in eternity rather than the things of this world, um, you know, that are only temporary. So that is it for my reflection. There's so much in these verses to be packed, packed in here. Uh, it was really hard to choose kind of what to focus on, but you know, honestly, you know, my hope is that we can all choose to be true Disciples of Christ, you know, choose to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and um, and follow him um, each and every day. So let's let's pray. Dear Holy Father, um, thank you for constantly teaching us through your word It is through your word that we grow to know you better and learn how to follow you more closely. We thank you for your patience as we learn how to be more faithful disciples by denying ourselves taking up our crosses and following you each and every day.